Good morning. My name is Jose. If you're visiting, I do want to welcome you. I'm super glad that you are here. We're Cypress Creek Church, a church filled with imperfect people, and we're here on a journey to follow the one and only perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope you feel at home. We have Discovery, which is for uh, folks that are visiting or checking Cypress Creek Church out. If you want to uh, become a partner, that's what we call membership. We call it partnership versus membership after the second uh, service, the 1030 gathering, we meet out there in the den. And so if you want to get some brunch and then come back, I want to personally invite you to that. And last thing I want to push us to do, you heard Taylor, uh, Scarlett, our kids pastor, needs help at kids camp. Now, I have four kids. So those are the kids that will need you there helping Carrie's laughing because she had my daughter in kindergarten. So they, we need an army of people. Parents, that's you too. I know you may think I just want to send my kids, but what would it look like for you to serve and love on not only your kids, but the kids of our community? This is something that we want to do to bless the community with. Anybody out there this morning? All right. So this morning, we're kicking off a new series. I called it Summer Through Mark. We're going to look at the gospel according to Mark, for eight weeks. It works out really nicely because there's 16 chapters in the Gospel of Mark, so we'll be featuring one scene from every other chapter on Sunday mornings, and I want to encourage and challenge you as you go, wherever you go this morning and I cer- or this summer, and I certainly hope that you go on adventure this morning and find a pool either in your backyard or Do one of those above-ground pools, unless you live in Wood Creek, then you're not allowed to. But find a pool. If you can't find a pool, turn on the hose and, and just adventure this summer. And as you go, take this with you. I want to encourage and challenge you to read two chapters of Mark a week. I know you can do it. I know you can do it. Two chapters of Mark. And as we read the Gospel of Mark, we're really, we'll be walking with Jesus. We'll see what Jesus's ministry was like. Why did I choose the Gospel of Mark? Well, it's uh, eight chap- or 16 chapters, and so it, it falls nicely in this eight-week period before we hit the fall. But also, it is action-packed. It has the most miracles out of all the Gospels, and it's written really to, to uh, talk about the life of Jesus. So it's fast-paced. If you know me, you know that I like to go fast. I'm learning how to talk slower. Anyway, that's just personal, the things that I'm learning. Mark is fast-paced, and it it skips a lot of the larger teachings that Matthew and John and Luke really go into because it really gives us the point of why Jesus came to us. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says this. This is really what Mark is all about. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus speaking, and he is saying that he did not to be served, even though he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, even though he was the one who was and is and is to come. He came to serve you and me. He came to meet us where we are at. He came to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of light. That's why he came 
And then the second part, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I grew up in, or was born in Mexico City, and so ransom has a negative connotation because unfortunately, hostage and kidnappings are, are kind of common growing up. And so ransom is what you pay for someone that is being taken hostage. That is our context. But in ancient times, a ransom was something that you would pay in order to free a slave. And so a slave themselves could pay a ransom so that they could be freed or family members or friends could pay this price so that that individual can be free and live as a free person. That is why Jesus came. He came to set you and I free. He came to set you and I free. There we go. There we are. The Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark. This was someone who wasn't around with Jesus. We're told that Peter, who was one of Jesus's apostles and walked with him, he actually told Mark all of these stories, and Mark himself wrote them down. He wrote them down around 50s to 60 AD, depending who you look at. And John Mark, this is a cool little anecdote. John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas, who was travel buddies with Paul. Paul came later after Jesus, and he was sent on mission to Antioch. But then Paul and John Mark got in a little bit of a rift, and John Mark and Barnabas actually abandoned ship, and Paul went on, and Paul wasn't good with that because Paul wanted his people to be loyal, and so John Mark and Paul had a little bit of a rift. Why do I tell you that? Why is that important? Because it reminds us that people in the Bible, even those that God used to write his perfect word, were imperfect and had issues just like you and I do. Here's the good news. Uh, in his final letter to Timothy, in 2 Timothy, Paul, talking to Timothy, is telling him in 4.11, only Luke is with me, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So really cool, John, Mark, and Paul reconcile there at the end. That's just free. I thought it was cool, and I wanted to share that with you. That is who is authoring this gospel of Jesus. This is the gospel according to Mark. Why was it written? Well, it was written to present to us the person and work of Jesus Christ as God's servant and son as demonstrated by the many miracles that we will look at. Again, there are more miracles per page than any other gospel. And we see that Jesus can heal the sick. Jesus can cast out demons. He can still the storm. He can raise the dead and feed the multitudes and even walk on water. That is Jesus of Nazareth. But there is one miracle that is the greatest of these. And that is that verse 1045, that he came to rescue you and I, that our names are written in the book of life. That's really what this gospel is about. And so as we read it, I want to um, teach you maybe something new. Maybe you already do this when you study the Bible. But as you read these two chapters, I want to encourage you and equip you to use this inductive Bible study method called the OIA. It's observation, interpretation, and application. You may use something else, great. You may use the OIA method, 
awesome. Today, I just want to feature this so that we have a tool in our pocket as we read these verses, and then we'll jump in and read a scene in Mark chapter 2. If you want to flip there, we'll go through the first 12 verses, and we'll be done today. So the OIA method, observation, interpretation, and application. You know, I like websites, so if you go to the ccc.guide and you click on the OIA method there, you'll have it on your phone all of these questions that teach us how to do scripture. We'll do that after we read Mark chapter two. So let's turn there. Mark chapter two, verses one through 12. But first, let's pray. Lord, I thank you that your word is alive and active. And so I pray that as we read it, that it would speak to us personally, that it would compel us to move towards you, God, whatever that means for us. If that means just continue to ask questions about who you are and what your purpose is, I pray that we would uh, sense the freedom to do that. If that means uh, surrender something more, God, so that we can become more like you as we live this life, Father, I pray that you would do that as we read our word. Ultimately, God, I pray that you would be glorified. We thank you, Jesus, for coming. We thank you for rescuing us from this dominion of darkness that surrounds us and bringing us into the kingdom of light. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're in Mark chapter two, Mark chapter one, just to set the context, Mark is, uh, Jesus is showing off. He's performing all sorts of miracles. He's casting out demons and he's preaching the gospel. So the, the setting is Capernaum. In chapter one, he starts in Capernaum and he heals this or, or casts out this demon in a synagogue. And then he goes out to preach the gospel in Galilee. And then we're finding ourselves back in Capernaum in chapter two, Verse one says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So we think that this was maybe his temporary home. Uh, it's not his home home. He's of Nazareth, but he really traveled around most of his ministry years. So it was his temporary home. And I want you to think about what you like to do after a really long day at work. Is that sit back, maybe watch some sports or some Netflix, maybe eat a long dinner, have a nice conversation with your spouse, family, kids, relax, read a book, maybe. Well, Jesus didn't really get that privilege this in this scene. In verse two, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. I love this because it shows how Jesus not only was famous and all these people were coming to see them, but he was on mission. He was on assignment. He actually rested in Mark chapter 1, told us that he took time before the sun had uh, uh, come up to spend time with the Lord so that when it was go time, he was on assignment and on mission, preaching the word to them. Verse three, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. First thing that came to mind, it reminded me of a time in Cuba. We talked about Cuba last week. He, one of our ministry partners, Pastor Ricardo, we were in Cuba and uh, Rob was actually preaching. I was translating and he's saying, imagine right here in this place, this is Rob speaking, 
a, a, a Cuban elevator, this man just coming down on a Cuban elevator. And so I looked at him thinking, that's quite offensive. I know that we're technologically superior in the States, but to say that this is equivalent to a Cuban, but I was a faithful interpreter. And so I just said, imagínense, está bajando el hombre en un elevador cubano. And no laughs, and he thought he'd get some laughs. So anyway, we were talking about it afterwards. And I was like, Rob, that was a little insensitive. Cuban elevator, really? I, said, I didn't say Cuban elevator. I said human elevator. <laughs> so thankfully, just like John, Mark, and Paul reconciled, Pastor Ricardo and I, we reconciled, all is good. I'm hopefully going to go back to see them soon. But imagine, I mean, Jesus is preaching the word of God to them, and here you go. This man, this disruption happens. Now, I know some of us in the room would be like, how dare you interrupt the, this Messiah as he's preaching to them? But Jesus goes all in, focuses in on these people. When Jesus saw their faith, verse five, when Jesus saw their faith. See, sometimes uh, Hebrews 11, one says, faith is believing in what we hope for and trusting in what we cannot see. Um, we can see faith when it is done in obedience, in action. These people had faith that that man that was preaching could heal their friend. And so that compelled them to go through the impediment of a crowd and climb this building and, and tear these tiles and lower this man on a human elevator at the feet of the ultimate healer, Jesus. And Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, they came and lowered him down so that he would be healed. Imagine if you and I went to the doctor and the doctor saw you or me and said, son, your sins are forgiven. I'd say, great, uh, but my knee still hurts, sir, and I came here for you to fix my knee, not to forgive my sins. Jesus goes on. Some of the teachers of the law were sitting there, verse 6, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And this verse should scare us, should put the fear of the Lord in our hearts. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Jesus knows our thoughts. And still, he says to this man, son, and I'm sure he says, he knows these Pharisees. I want you to be my son. I am for you. I care for you. I love you. And in verse 10, he gives us the reason why he's doing all of this. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's the point. He's saying that, yeah, it could be easy to just say, I'm going to forgive your sins, because those are just words. But I'm about to show you through action that these words have Meaning, so he said to the man, verse 11, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Verse 12, he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed 
everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Could you imagine? Well, I hope that that imagining becomes real for us today. And so I wanna go through OIA, observation, interpretation, application, and I'll land with how this is personal to us through application. So observation, what does the passage say? That's really what we're answering when we observe something. What does the passage say? Well, who is in this scene? We see Jesus, we see a paralyzed man, we see these great friends. Find some friends like these four men. And then we see the Pharisees, these teachers of the law. What is happening? Well, Jesus is reading minds, he's forgiving sins, and he's healing this paralyzed man. Where is this happening? We know that it's happening in Capernaum and in a crowded house. When is this happening? This is happening right at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And why is this happening? Well, this is displaying the power of Jesus to forgive and heal. And then I'd encourage you to, what other things do you observe? What are some things that you may be asking as a result of reading this passage? For me, I'm wondering how this healing and forgiveness correlate. What is that correlation? Do we need to be forgiven in order to receive healing? If I want healing for something, do I need to confess to see where I'm going in order to receive physical healing or something? Those are the questions that come to my mind, and that's why we have to go to the next step of interpretation. A fancy theological term for interpretation is hermeneutic. It's just, what does this passage mean? And the first place where we have to start is with context. We can take verses out of context so easily when we just pluck something, we think we know what it's saying, and then we use it out of context. Concentric circles, I like those. If you've heard me preach, you know I like them. So I created this one. It's not, it's not an original uh, thing. I learned this in seminary, but this is how we really do well with context. First, we look at the scene. What is that verse saying? And then we look, uh, or verse and verses around it. That's the scene. And then the chapter. What is the chapter in that book of the uh, Bible really talking about? And we look up to the book and then Where does this line up in the storyline of all scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation? So the scene, we know he's in this house, he's he's healing. Verse 10, it tells us that I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sin. So forgiveness really is higher than this healing. The chapter, he's doing a lot of miracles. He's going around and he's establishing that Jesus has authority. The book, well, this is chronologically going through the life of Jesus, and then the storyline, it is in the Gospels. So it is talking about this Messiah that God promised, really from Genesis 1 all the way to the end. Context is huge. Then we go, why uh, other questions that have to do with interpretation is why is the author bringing this up? Well, again, the mission of Jesus is to forgive, heal, and save. What is God saying through this passage? I really think it boils down to this. Jesus wants us to be well. Jesus wants us to be whole. He wants us to be fully alive. And so if there's any sickness, if there is any sin in us, then Jesus wants to rid us of that. Now, the question, the million-dollar question is when (laughs) and how. 
do we have a part to play in that? And, and can I have that healing now? Is there something that I can do in order to earn? And my answer is, I really don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins and to heal us once and for all, either on this side of heaven or the other side. And that is a miracle in and of itself. And so then uh, we move on to application. How should I live my life in light of this passage? How does this truth compel me to be transformed? What does it look like to practically live out God's truth? And what does it look like to put this into practice? Three points, and then we'll be done. The first thing that this shows me is that I need to surround myself with friends like this because sometimes I'm paralyzed. I'm paralyzed by fear. I'm paralyzed by anxiety. I'm paralyzed by stress. I'm paralyzed by the weight of things going on in life. And I want friends around me that place me right in front of Jesus for healing. And I also want to be that kind of friend for others. So surround myself with faithful friends that have the faith that know that Jesus is the healer and Jesus is the one who came to rescue us from all the stuff that we struggle with this side of heaven. And also, what does it look like to be that friend? Well, let's continue on. The second is identify what's keeping me on the mat. Why do I feel paralyzed in seasons of my life? Well, there's one hidden maybe not so hidden, but, but it tends to hide underneath. And these men brought this paralyzed man down to Jesus. This, we don't know the story of, of this man, this paralyzed man. We don't know if he even wants to be there, but he had a choice once Jesus asked him to get up, take your mat, and go. And when we read that he went out. One thing that keeps us on the mat is self-pity. Again, it can be so hidden, but we love this idea of being victims because it gives us attention and it allows us to have sympathy from others. But I want to read some words. John Piper says this about self-pity. Boasting is the response of pride to success. Self-pity is the response of pride to suffering. Boasting says, I deserve admiration because I have achieved so much. And self-pity says, I deserve admiration because I have suffered so much. My friends, let's beware of self-pity because we are not called to stay on this mat. Again, just something that the Lord uh, uh, showed me through this passage that I feel compelled to share with you. See, Romans 8 talks that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. In verse 35 of Romans 8, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That may be your reality right now in life. You may look all around you and just see trouble and destruction and danger and ugliness. But verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He then goes on to say that there is nothing that can separate us from God's love. You 
and I are more than conquerors because Jesus Christ conquered death for us. Who or what shall we fear? You are more than conqueror. And so this is the the last point. So get up, pick up my mat and go home. I love that that is when Jesus centers in on this paralyzed man, this individual. He saw the faith of his friends, the chosen. It's a really cool show that depicts a lot of different scenes of Jesus. If you haven't watched it, I encourage you to go ahead and watch it. It's a great show. I think they're on season two right now. And this scene is a really emotional scene that uh, they did a great job in this on this rendition. And he, he goes in now to this man and he tells him, get up, take up your mat and go home. What does get up mean? It means take Jesus personally. The friends did their part. They lowered him down. And if you're one of those friends, know that that's all you can do to someone that may be paralyzed, to someone that may be in dire need of help. You can just put them in front of Jesus. It is up to every individual to personally respond to what Jesus Christ has done for her and him. It's not our job. Our job is just to say, here you go. Here is the message of hope. Here is the message of salvation. Here is the message of ultimate healing. It's up to all of us to get up and take Jesus personally. The second is take your mat. Take it with you. You're no longer on it. And so just take it up and take it with you. Why? Because as you go home, it'll be a part of your story that you'll be able to share with others. We talked about that last week and say, you know, I was once paralyzed by fear. I couldn't even move. I was so crippled by this anxiety. But then God healed me. Surrounded by friends that loved me, God created a miracle. When we go home, we go and live differently. We go changed. We can't live the same after we've encountered an experience with God like this. How's this personal? I know what you're thinking. Can I receive this miracle right now? And the answer is yes. And the next question is, well, what if I don't receive the miracle? And the answer is yes, you will receive that miracle on that side of heaven. It's not up to us to determine when and how. It's up to the sovereign Lord of Lords, but he asks us to ask him. And so let's ask. I have one uh, last little quote that talks about the importance of spiritual healing and its connection to medical healing. It says, the gospel declares that healing involves relationships with God, with other people, with ourselves, and with our environment. One of the things that can destroy our health is the paralyzing weight of sin. It does not show up on any of the blood tests or x-rays, but it is as virulent as any physical disease. In this scene, Jesus is able to restore persons to health by lifting the load of sin that cripples and immobilizes. And so worship team, you can come back up. I wanna close by inviting all of us to respond in some way, shape, or form. I don't know who you relate to in the story. Maybe it's the teachers of the law that you're saying, who is this man that says that he can forgive sins? Maybe that's you. You're just questioning Jesus. I encourage you, continue 
to seek. Maybe you are the man on the mat who just needs a healing touch from the Lord. There is something in your life that is paralyzing you. Jesus tells us, get up, take up your mat, and walk. We believe that he can work a miracle now, and we believe that we will get the miracle, whether now or in eternity. And last, you may be thinking, I have this friend, I have this family member, I have this coworker, I have this neighbor who I know desperately needs a healing touch from the Lord. I encourage you to figure out how to go over the impediments that the enemy is going to put in our way. They can look as innocent as a crowd surrounded by people. It may be hard, but let's be encouraged by their amazing way of climbing up this uh, house, tearing up the tile and lowering this man so that he could be in front of the one who heals, the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray with me.